based on the verses just read, we should be able to answer several questions. One of them being, was Noah commanded to build an ark? Well, based on what we heard, the answer to this question would be yes. Is the command to build the same as a command to buy? Well, the answer to this question would obviously be no. If there had been a giant shipyard in the time of Noah, would Noah have been authorized, would it have been right or permissible for Noah to have gone to that shipyard and bought an ark? Well, since God said build an ark, he was not authorized to buy an ark. Those who have an honest heart will say, they will agree, that if he was commanded to build an ark, that was the command. That was what he was authorized, that was what he was under obligation to do. If though, as Steve read through Genesis 6, the text were to say, get an ark, well that command would be general. Noah could have gotten an ark in any way. He could have bought an ark, he could have built an ark, he could have borrowed an ark, had one been available or something else. The command to build an ark was a very specific command that prohibited other options. Well now, since Noah was commanded to build an ark, as we think about that command, what tools was he required to use? Or what tools was he allowed to use? Well, based on the information that was read from Genesis 6, there was no specifications when it came to tools. You have to have an ark. You've got to build it. But God did not tell this man how to build the ark. So, based on what we find, he was under obligation to build an ark. But the way he constructed the ark was not specified. He had freedom there. The word build in Genesis 6, the command build, tells us something else. If God had told Noah to build the ark with no helpers, Noah would not have been authorized to have any helpers. But God didn't get specific in that part of the command. God simply said, build an ark. He left it up to Noah as far as how that would be done. Thus, if animals were used to maybe haul some wood from place to place, that would have been authorized. If Noah had decided that he wanted to buy or uh, buy the services to um, get some people in there to help him construct the ark, that would have been permitted as well. As we think about what was read in Genesis 6, verse 14, the Bible says the ark was to be made out of gopher wood. Now, there were no Lowe's stores in the time of Noah. Menards didn't exist. But suppose if we could go back to the time of Noah, we would find some people, perhaps, that would be sellers of wood. And there is this fellow just down from Noah, and this fellow says, I've got some gopher wood. Noah, if that's what you want, it's going to cost you 75 cents a foot. And Noah says, well, that's kind of expensive. I know there's this guy the other way from my house, the other direction, and this fellow is selling cedar wood. And rather than pay 75 cents a foot, the cedar wood, which smells a lot better, is only 30 cents a foot. Would it have been okay for Noah have decided, yeah, I know what you said, God, go for wood. But I know that cedar wood is half the price. I know it looks better. I know it smells better, so I'm going to use cedar wood. Well, he would not have been authorized it would not have been permissible for him to have gone down and gotten the cedar wood, even though perhaps it may have been less, even though it may have been prettier. If God, though, had said simply, build an ark out of wood, well, then that would have given Noah the freedom to build that ark out of any wood he wanted. He could have chosen pine or oak or any other kind of wood that he preferred. God's command to specifically build the ark and build the ark from gopher wood tells us something else. Suppose, and again, I know this is not realistic, but suppose in Noah's time there had been a metal factory, maybe a steel factory. And that probably would not have been the best choice for uh, the ship in Noah's time, but suppose that Noah decided steel is going to be a lot more durable than wood. So I'm going to build the ark out of steel or some of the metal. Would he have been authorized to do that? Well, somebody says no. 
Noah, maybe as he was thinking about the situation, taking this supposition a little further, says, well, and this would have obviously been difficult with all the animals, but Noah says, I'd prefer a submarine. I think it would be neat to have a submarine. So because of the steel, I'm going to build me a sub. Would he have been authorized to do that? Well, obviously not, because God didn't authorize a submarine. God authorized a wooden vessel, a wooden vessel made out of gopher wood, and a vessel that was going to float. So even if material like steel had been available, it would not have been authorized because God specified what he wanted. In Genesis 6, verse 14, we also find from the text, the Bible says, Noah was to use pitch. God said, I want you to seal the ark, I want you to seal it with pitch, and I want you to seal it on the inside as well as the outside. What if God had simply said, seal the ark? Well, if that had been the command, Noah would have been under obligation to seal the ark. But he would have been able to seal the ark with anything he wanted. But God said, you seal the ark and you seal it with pitch. When he gave these two commands, he prohibited everything else. God told him what to use and where to use it. If God had simply told Noah to seal the ark and Noah failed to do this, if he didn't fulfill this specific command, then he would have been disobedient. In Genesis 6, we find, as Steve read, dimensions about the ark. There is information about a window, information about the decks, and even a door. But suppose, as Noah heard these illustrations and these uh, instructions, suppose his wife came along and said, Noah, I know that you're supposed to build three decks, but I'd really like a fourth deck. And you build that fourth deck for me. Would Noah have been authorized to add an additional deck? Or Noah's wife may have said, I like windows, and I want more windows than what God has specified. Those things would also not have been permissible. Now, it's almost impossible, I think, for anyone to misunderstand the information that's given thus far. We recognize the principles that have been outlined thus far. And yet, in spite of what we find in Genesis 6, there are some people, when it comes to God, who poo-poo this thing. Oh, well, God's a loving, caring, kind, gracious God, and it really doesn't matter that we follow the um, principles, the specific, and uh, use the freedom where he's given freedom idea. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, the Bible says, Noah prepared an ark. And then as that verse continues, the Bible says he not only prepared an ark, but he prepared the ark to the saving of his household. You see, he prepared the ark, he saved his household by doing what God commanded. He didn't try to use cedar, he didn't try to use uh, some other structure, didn't try to mess with a plan for the windows and the dimensions or anything else. Doing what God says leads to salvation, as we see from the time of Noah and his experience. Failing to follow God's specific and general commands leads to condemnation. Now, as we think about the principles introduced in Genesis 6, we have some information which is very important to us, essential to us, information which will help us get to heaven. First of all, as we think about what we find in Genesis 6, we realize that man is obligated to act by God's authority. Man must do what God has permitted, no more and no less. As we learned from last week's lesson on Colossians 3, verse 17, all that we do, Whatever is done in word or in deed, everything needs to be authorized by Christ. Well, this morning we want to follow up on that idea. We want to think about doing things by God's authority. When we begin to read through the New Testament, we find various passages which give us some commands. And the commands and the teachings that we have in the New Testament follow the very principles that we've already outlined from Genesis chapter 6. When we find a command, something that we're obligated to do in the New Testament, we generally find two different things associated with that command or instruction. There are, for example, when we think about commands, some specific parts. Those specific parts would be like Noah. You need to build an ark, not a submarine or anything else. God says specifically the ark needs to be made out of wood. It needs to be made out of gopher wood. There needs to be pitch inside and outside, and here are the dimensions. 
But there were also some things that were not specified, which we discussed. How's he going to get the wood? God didn't specify that, so Noah had um, some freedom there. God didn't specify how the ark was to be built. Noah could have gotten a saw, uh, he could have gotten a hammer. It was up to him. He had some freedom in these areas. Well, let's apply the principles that we've looked at thus far to some basic New Testament teachings, and we'll begin with baptism. If God had said to his people, simply uh, go out into the world and get some people wet, that would be a somewhat general teaching. If God were to say, go out and get people wet, the word people would be a word which would not be that specific. We wouldn't want to do uh, get animals wet because of the command of people. Some of the people we get wet might be infants. Some of the people that we get wet might be individuals with dementia. Getting people wet is a pretty general command. We could get people wet by dousing them with a fire hose. We could toss a soft drink on somebody and make them wet that way. The command to just get people wet would lead to chaos. But God is not a God of chaos. God's a God of sense, logic, and order. So rather than tell people to go out and get others wet, Jesus commanded baptism. In Matthew 28, verse 19, the Lord said, you go disciple people. You teach people. And after a person has been discipled, after a person has been taught, Jesus said, following the instruction that you've given, then you baptize them. So that part of the instruction is specific. God says, teach. We're in other verses told what needs to be taught. And before they get wet, uh, they have that right instruction and then they're baptized. Well, how is a person to get wet? If somebody says, get somebody wet today, there might be a number of ways to do it. But God, when he said, um, in Matthew 28, verse 19, or Jesus, uh, also deity, he says that you need to baptize people. That word trans, uh, translated baptize means to immerse, to dip, to plunge, to submerge someone. So that's a specific part of the command. God says you not only get people wet, you get them wet to the point where they've been dipped or they've been submerged. Well, if we're going to submerge, uh, submerge people, what might we immerse them in? The Bible teaches that that liquid is to be water. Bible verses like Acts 8 verse 38 describe two people, the Christian and the non-Christian, going down into the water. Well, if God has commanded these specific things, teach people. And those who are taught, baptize them. Baptize them in water. Baptize them in water that is deep enough to immerse them. Are we authorized? Do we have permission to do something else? Well, the answer is no. If immersing someone is inconvenient, and there are times when that's the case, we do not have authority, we do not have God's permission to sprinkle water on them, pour water on them, or even douse them with a fire hose. The meaning of baptism in Jesus' command tells us that people need to be dipped, plunged, immersed in water. Now someone says, well, okay, in thinking through this, what if we were to baptize someone in perfume? What if we were to have a big container of olive oil and immerse somebody in that? Would that be authorized? The answer is no. And that might seem like a silly illustration, but we, again, need to think about the principle that is being discussed. What God has authorized, if that is a specific thing, we need to do just what he said. But there are some areas wherein we have some freedom. When we think about, for example, going back to the ark, some specific things were there, but there are also some general things as well. Has the God of the Bible authorized baptism only on a certain day? Well, he said baptize people, but he's not told us what day to do it on. So we have some freedom there. Has God said that baptism must take place in a church building? He's not said that. We have freedom there. Has God said that the water that we use for baptism, it can be in a stationary pool? 
or it must be water that's flowing or moving. He's not specified that. So we have the authority to baptize in either of those situations. Has he said the baptisms must take place inside or outside? He's not specified that. So we have freedom to make uh, whatever choice is appropriate for us. Has God specified the temperature of the water that we use to baptize people? No. It may not be the most pleasant thing to do, especially this time of year, but we would have the authority, may not make good sense, but we have the authority today to go out into um, a frozen area, maybe a river that's still frozen over, and chop the ice, make a hole, baptize someone, and then bring them out after they have been immersed. If, on the other hand, we want to use a heated pool, we have the authority for that. There's freedom there because God has not said the water must be hot or it must be cold. The things God has authorized sometimes have some options attached to them and we have some freedom to choose and have no right to bind things. Now the applications of what we see from Genesis 6 are numerous as we think about the Christian life. Let's turn to worship for just a moment and think about it. Do we have divine authority for the Lord's Supper? Yes, we do. That was read from a scripture reading earlier. Is communion, the Lord's Supper, an item that is commanded by God? Yes. In 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, we find that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper in memory of Jesus. Now, this is a specific command. It is just like the command for Noah to build the ark. Noah, in building the ark, was told to use wood. And he was told to use a specific kind of wood. What about the Lord's Supper? Are there any specifics when it comes to the communion? Yes. The teaching is we are to use bread and the fruit of the vine. These two items are specific things because God has specified what we're to use. That is, bread and the fruit of the vine. Ham and eggs with orange juice would be sinful. We're not authorized to change this part of the command. We also have specific information about the day of the Lord's Supper. In Acts 20, verse 7, through example, the Scriptures tell us that Christians, when the first day of the week came, they had the Lord's Supper. There are some specific things that we're obligated to do. No changes when it comes to the Lord's Supper. However, not everything associated with the Lord's Supper has been specifically commanded by God. For example, where are we to partake of the Lord's Supper? God has not specified the location for this feast, this memorial. We could thus take the Lord's Supper at a building, such as we've done this morning. Or we could be out in the middle of an ocean and partake the Lord's Supper there because God has not specified a place. God has also not specified a time on the first day of the week. We could have the Lord's Supper and we could finish it up a minute before um, Saturday ends. And we could have the Lord's Supper a minute before Monday begins, as long as we're on the first day of the week. If we're going to take the fruit of the vine, we probably will need some kind of container. Now, there have been some congregations, not necessarily in this area, but over the years there have been some congregations who've had a split because of the number of containers that are used. There have been some congregations where people have said, we have to have one container. If we have more than one container, if we have multiple cups, um, we can't be in fellowship with you. Now, I know the arguments that some have used for having just one container. But as we look at the scriptures, God has not legislated. He's not told us how many containers to use. God's not told us when it comes to the Lord's Supper if we can use a big cup or a little cup. He's just said we need to participate in the supper, and that involves the fruit of the vine. He's also not legislated when it comes to the construction of the cup. We might, as we have communion, probably not here, but we might drink from a wooden cup, or we might drink from a plastic cup. We might drink from a glass cup, a metal cup, or we might drink out of a jug. doesn't matter. There's no specific teaching when it comes to the Lord's Supper as far as the container. 
when we have a command or an instruction from God, we need to think back to those principles that we find in Genesis chapter 6. We need to study that teaching, that instruction, that command, and see what part of it is specific and we can't change. And the parts that are not specific, the parts where we have some freedom to do what is best for us. Speaking of study, think about Bible study as it relates to the principles in Genesis chapter 6. In God's Word, we are commanded to study and we are commanded to grow. If God in His Word had simply said, learn something, increase your knowledge, that command would be a general command and we could fulfill it by learning more about math or science or history or something else. But God didn't in His Word say learn something. God in His Word points us to learning more about the Scriptures or to learn more of His Word. So we can do things like defend the hope that is within us. We've been told what to do, that is study, and we've been told what to study, that is the Bible. But you know, the Bible doesn't tell us how to specifically fulfill these commands. One person might say, well, I learn best by listening. So this person, as he or she studies from the Bible, a lot of their study may be audio-based. Another person says, well, I learn best if I can have some additional Bible study tools. So I may read some Bible dictionaries, I may read some Bible commentaries, I'm probably going to consult some other resources to help me understand and study the scriptures. Well, that's authorized. Someone else says, well, I learn best by digging into the original languages. I want to go back and look at the Greek and the Hebrew. That's authorized. One person says, well, I learn best in the morning, so I'm going to study in the morning. Another person says, I learn best in the evening. Both of those are right. Both of those are authorized because God has not specified the time of day wherein we study. Another person says, well, I have an unusual work schedule. I'm just so busy six days a week that my work schedule really doesn't permit uh, too much studying. So he says, I'm going to uh, study 70 minutes. I'm going to allot on average 10 minutes a day for Bible study. I don't think that's probably enough, but for the sake of illustration. And this fellow says, I'm going to study 70 minutes a day, one day a week. Another person says, well, my schedule is different. This second individual says, my schedule's set up where I have about 10 minutes free a day, and I'm going to spend my 10 minutes a day that's free studying the Bible. Neither one's wrong. Both are authorized because God has not specified how we are to study the Scriptures. When we begin to think about the principles in Genesis 6, it becomes something that we can relate to area after area. Think about instrumental music. If God, when it comes to New Testament Christianity, had said, make music, that would be a certain command. It would be a general command. It would tell us that to make music, we can make music in any way that we want. We could sing. We could play. We could hum. We could do anything and really everything when it comes to making music. But when we look at the Bible, it doesn't say make music. Can't find that command in the New Testament. But you know what the Bible does say? It says sing. It says sing in Ephesians 5.19. It says sing in Colossians 3.16. And singing is a specific command. It is a specific kind of music that God says we're to use in worship. If we play and do not sing, we add and subtract to God's word. But if we sing, and that's what we do to honor God, then we have fulfilled the specific command. Now somebody says, well, okay, I can understand that. I can understand the principle in Genesis 6, and I can understand how this would apply to instrumental music, but I've got a couple of questions. What about using songbooks? How would songbooks be authorized? Or we have a microphone. How does the microphone fit into the teaching on authority? Are we not adding to our singing? Well, these are good questions. If we're going to sing, if we're going to fulfill that specific command in Ephesians 5 verse 19 and Colossians 3.16, do we not need to know the words of the songs? 
Do we not need to know the words if we're going to sing? Well, yes, we do. Everybody would agree on that. Well, how are we going to know the words to the songs? God has not specified anything on this particular point. So, since God has not specified, we have a number of ways. We might use a songbook so we can fulfill the command to sing. Or we might, as some congregations do, have the words projected on a screen. Or we are also authorized to commit the songs to memory. The specific command to sing is not altered by even having a song leader. A song leader does not take away from the singing. A song leader is like a songbook. He helps us, he's an expedient, he's an aid to carrying out the specific command to sing. Point after point, in worship, in becoming a Christian, and living the Christian life, applies to the teachings in Genesis 6, as far as the principles there. Sometimes people in our time ask about church buildings. I've been asked over the years at various times, where does the Bible authorize a church building? Or how does the Bible authorize a church building? Well, if you read through the New Testament, you find that it never mentions a church building. In fact, if you go back and you look at religious history, you find that the first church building did not come into existence until sometime after 100 A.D. We do, though, as we look at Christians, God's people, and their assemblies, we find in the Bible multiple references to Christians meeting in the homes of people. Rather than finding verses about church buildings, we simply find references to the church, the people. If you were to look at Romans 16, verse 5, the Bible says, the church in their house. Well, that doesn't mean that somebody had such a big house that they stuck a church building inside it. It simply means that the church, God's people, were meeting in someone's house. Keeping silence in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. I think some people look at that and they think, well, that means silence in the church building. No. Silence in the church means silent in the assembly, wherever that is. Philemon, verse 2, is even more insightful. It says, this man had a church in his house. Well, it wasn't a church building in his house. But the people were meeting in his house. Since the Bible does not specifically mention church buildings, where is the authority for them? Well, the authority for a church building, such as we have here, is found in God's commands to meet, to have fellowship and worship. God in his word has not told us where to meet. He's not specified that. He's told us when to meet, Acts 20 verse 7 being one example. He's told us some of the things that need to do, we need to do, have the Lord's Supper and so forth, but he has not told us where to do it. We thus have authority. We have permission to meet in a home. We might meet in a rented facility, or we might build a special building. We have authorization to come together in some place, a place of our choosing, for things like fellowship and worship, but God's not specified how these things would be done. You know, there is no Bible congregation says we're going to build a building. How many classrooms should we have? Bible doesn't specify anything on that point. That's up to us. Should we have a basement? Should we have a kitchen? Bible hasn't specified these things. What are we going to build the building from? Well, we could use gopher wood if we knew what it was. I don't know what it was, and I don't think anybody else does either. Or we could build that building out of wood, perhaps pine. We could use metal. We could use brick or vinyl siding. We are under no obligation. We have authority or permission to heat a building with gas or electric because those things have not been specifically directed by God. Unlike the ark, we can choose to put any number of windows in the building that we may want. We could have a multi-story building of our choosing. Some congregations use chairs. And I'm ashamed to say that there are some men, some congregations that have decided to do that and brethren in the area said they're liberal. They've got chairs instead of pews. Probably can't fellowship them. Everything's going bad over there. People may like pews instead of chairs. Maybe we're so accustomed to pews we think chairs are unsightly. But once again, 
God has not specified those things when it comes to having a quote-unquote church building. We might use pews. We might use chairs. We might choose to sit on the floor because God has not specified in this area. Others object to a cross on a church building. Others object to a steeple. And I'll just be frank with you, those are not my preferences. In part, I'm not sure that they're the best example of stewardship. And there's some other reasons. But you know, these, even though they may not be my personal preference, or your personal preference, these are not a doctrinal issue. God's not specified whether or not to have a steeple. He's not specified whether or not to have a cross inside the building or outside the building. Again and again, we have, as we see from Genesis chapter 6, some things when it comes to authorization that are specific. God has said, do it this way. When we have those times, we can't add to, we can't subtract from it. But there are also some things where we have an activity authorized by God, and we have some general things, some nonspecific things, some areas wherein we have freedom. Another illustration. God has said, go into the world and teach the gospel. Well, that's specific. He's not given us the authority to go into the world and on his behalf for salvation teach people mathematics, science, history, chemistry, or anything else. God says, you go, you teach the gospel. Well, how, God, are we going to fulfill that command? God says, I leave that up to you. There's no specific command as far as how to to teach the gospel. So you might use a Bible correspondence course. You might do it one-on-one. You might use the telephone, the internet, or some other way. God's word, as we learned last week, must authorize the activities that we're involved with. And in some cases, God has bound us to some specific things. God has said give. We're specifically authorized to give on the first day of the week, but God has not specified a percentage. We've got freedom in that area. It's up to us, as long as we give as according as we have uh, prospered. We have a command to give on the Lord's Day, but God has not specified the way the collection is to be uh, taken. We could, for example, and I've not seen this, but we could put a collection box in the foyer. Some people might say, well, that's kind of odd, but is it not a way to give on the first day of the week? Yes, it's authorized. Most congregations, if they see anything other than passing a plate, they're probably going to think something's funny here. But you know, God has not specified that we've got to have a collection plate. I've seen congregations that have a wooden plate. Some congregations have a, uh, maybe an aluminum plate, a metal-based plate. But you know, when we think about the collection, we could pass a hat. may not be the most practical thing to do. Or we could take a Walmart sack. Again, that may not be the most practical thing to do, but God simply says, take up a collection. He's not specified how it's to be done. It could be done as far as the first thing of the service. It could be done the last or in the middle. One of the greatest challenges in life and one of the most difficult problems that we have as we deal with people involved with religions that God has not authorized is authority. And if we can wrap our heads around the idea that's expressed in Genesis chapter 6, God's commands, some of them are specific, and we don't mess with the specific commands. But with those specific commands, there are usually, typically, normally other areas associated with that command wherein we have freedom. And we need to respect the areas of freedom, let people make choices uh, when it comes to those kinds of things, but we've got to insist that when it comes to what God has commanded, we do that. No addition and no subtraction. Well, that's true when it comes to salvation. People need to believe. How are they going to be taught about belief in Christ? A lot of different ways. God's not specified that we need to uh, help someone come to belief in a certain way. Another person says, well, I've got belief. How am I going to repent? What steps can I take? Well, the steps that you take may be different than the steps somebody else takes. God's not told us a specific way to help people repent. He's not told us where a person must confess Christ. They might do it in a home. They might do it in a facility such as this. They might, on the way in talking to a preacher, say, I believe that Christ is the Son of God. I'm ready to be baptized. And then baptism. 
Does a person need special clothing before they're baptized? The Bible doesn't say that. I've known of some cases where people said, I've got to be baptized in white. Well, that may be the personal preference, but that, that's not specified in the Bible. And then as we think about the pool, somebody might be baptized in water that's three feet as far as the height of the water. Somebody else might be baptized in a river that's 30 feet deep. doesn't matter. Another person might be baptized at 9 o'clock in the morning. Somebody else says, I need to be baptized and it's about midnight. God has not specified a day. He's not specified a time. He's not even specified someone uh, to baptize an individual. Uh, I'd prefer to be baptized by a Christian. Uh, were that necessary? Um, prefer to be baptized with, by someone who's schooled in the Word of God? But those things are not necessary. And we need to know what's authorized and uh, what's not, plus the general things when it comes to God's Word. This morning, we hope that you have at least enough of an understanding to know that we've got to follow God's specific will. And if you've got that comprehension and you believe, and you want to live for God, and you're ready this morning to say that Christ is the Son of God, the only one that can get me to heaven, this morning you can be baptized into Him in a pool with standing water, wearing white or blue, and become a Christian. We hope that if you've not done that, you will make that choice this morning. And if you have, then as a Christian, beginning, begin applying the principles that we've talked about today. If we can help you become a Christian, write your life as a Christian, strengthen you in some way, we let us know as we stand and sing this election.